there's the rest of the world that have never even heard of public physical therapy. And they're still under the mindset that the, the tightest that your vagina can be the best. You know, disclaimer, obviously the, the vagina naturally has tone and it, you know, if a penis or a toy goes in it, it would hug that object. But beyond that, I mean, it doesn't need to be like this grip monster where the person can barely breathe. And, you know, when I do my exam, sometimes I, I'm praying for my finger. I'm like, my finger is getting strangled in there. It's horrible. I'm like, this is a dysfunction. And that's part of the reason why sex hurts. Not just why sex hurts, but why you're not getting wet. Because if it, if it's hurting, you're not going to be getting wet. If it's uncomfortable, you're not going to be getting wet. Um, you're not going to be orgasmic. <laughs> I mean, so I think we, we just need to talk about that. Welcome to Mom Strength, a podcast and movement to empower, educate, and showcase mom strength inside and out. I'm your host, Surabi Veach physiotherapist and fitness coach, also known as The Passionate Physio. Join me for discussions on movement, mindset, and motherhood, where we raise the bar and challenge the status quo. Get ready for expert interviews and real, honest conversations where we explore physical, mental, and emotional health. Let's celebrate the beautiful diversity and common experiences in all of our journeys. Let's do this. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Mom Strength. I'm your host, Surabhi Veach, and I'm really excited to have on one of my favorite people who I've connected with through social media, Dr. Janelle Howell. You probably already know her. She is the vagina rehab doctor, and she's a pelvic therapist and a board-certified women's health specialist, and she has over 163,000 followers on social media. And I know followers aren't anything but let me tell you, her content is literally changing people's lives, changing people's lives. And she's helping people have better sex, have better pelvic floor health, have better vaginal health, nutrition, and also self-care. And I feel like she truly cares about her people. And you can see that in her content that she puts out. Her primary audience are vagina CEOs, which is a term she coined. And I love that it's an inclusive term allowing folks who do not identify as women to also feel welcome. Her content is focused on open, honest, and inspirational awareness regarding vaginal health, pelvic floor health, and reproductive health. Her self-proclaimed job is to create a global culture of radical vaginal health and unapologetic self-love and care through top-notch quality education and entertainment. And it is entertaining. I love that your posts are humorous, entertaining, and so easy to access for people who are new to the pelvic health world. Janelle, thank you so much for coming on here. Welcome, welcome. Thank you so much, Soderby. I'm excited to be here with you. You're one of my mentors in the space of pelvic physical therapy. I look on your page all the time and I'm so inspired. I should have an album just for the post for you where I'm like, oh, I got to repost this. I got to <laughs> do some catch up with reposting because you post so many inspiring things that touch the heart and also humanize us as vagina CEOs and as moms, you know, with all the changes that our body can um, can go through. You really help us to feel powerful again and passionate again, as, as your name suggests. So yeah, thanks for having me on the podcast. I'm so pumped for this conversation. So one of the things that I see on your page is that you're not afraid to talk about things that most people are kind of 
nervous or there's a stigma to talk about it. For example, pain with sex. It's just, it's a taboo topic. A lot of people hold that shame and stigma if they have any pelvic health concerns down there. Can you talk a little bit about that and what, what kinds of messages that you want people to know about their sexual health and their pelvic health? Well, I think, you know, for sexual health, one of the, one of the things that I would love to see happen in the world is us just talk more about it. Um, aside from just the superficial stuff, like, did you orgasm or, you know, how big was their penis or, you know, <laughs> that stuff is, you know, it's funny and everything, but people are living and suffering through real sexual pain, sexual dysfunction and sexual problems. Um, you know, when I was growing up, I grew up in a household where my parents talked about pretty much anything, not in depth. They weren't giving me lessons. I will say that. I wish my mom would have talked to me a little bit more in depth about vaginal health and sexual health. However, certain words that kids were just not saying, I wasn't ashamed to say it, like penis. I, I could probably just be sitting at the table and say penis. And <laughs> you know, that was just normal for us. And, and and my dad, he would say balls, you know? And it wasn't something that I was like, oh my gosh, we shouldn't be saying this. So I think that helped develop in me um, something where I just was not scared to to discuss it. Um, you know, when I was also little, my parents made it very important to let us know when we couldn't go in their bedroom. I mean, and at a certain point, you, you know what's happening. It's like, okay, they have their time for themselves and my parents were very affectionate, you know, they kissed and I got to see all of that. So for me, I grew up in a household where physical affection and sex was normal. It wasn't like this nasty, can't talk about it thing. It was just a part of life. And I saw it from a healthy angle. So I think that helps. So I think the first thing is that we have to start talking about it. I mean, we would be surprised how many people have sexual dysfunction. I think up to 75% of women and people who are born with female genitalia have sexual dysfunction. So at, at the end of one's life, not yeah. not now, but at some yeah. point, you're either going to have sexual pain, you're going to have some dryness, you're not going to be able to orgasm. I mean, these things, these things are so common, but yet I've hit all three popular. of those check marks before right, right, already. Exactly. Right. And it's exactly there. There's two things I want to say there as a parent myself. That's really heartwarming because I didn't grow up in a family like that where these conversations were normalized. But that helps me, you know, if I normalize this in my household, if my partner and I, how my kids, when they grow up, they're going to feel empowered to just talk openly. I remember my daughter, she's four and a half now, but when she was three, we were at my parents, you know, we're Indian raised kind of religious. We don't talk about these things. On my wedding day, my mom gave me this like mat and is like, this is for your actions tonight. And I was like, what? Like, like literally she gave me a mat to put on the bed because sex is dirty. And so we don't want to get the bed. Like it, there's so much to unpack there. But I remember my daughter sitting at the dinner table and she was like, my hair is nipple length. <laughs> and she was just stating a fact. It's just nipple length. And right. my parents were like, so awkward. And I'm like, yeah, it is nipple length. And then, you know, my mom was giving her a bath and she's like, no soap in my vulva. And like, just so confident saying these things. And I'm like, that, as a mom, I'm so proud, but also it's helping me take layers of shame off of like the way I was mm -hmm. raised where these That's kinds of conversations weren't normalized. So yeah. I love that you share that about your household and how we need to have these conversations, say these words because they're not dirty yeah. words. Um, and 75% of people are living yeah. with sexual dysfunction at some point in their lives. Absolutely. 
Yeah, it and it's um it really get, opens up the space for us as pelvic physical therapists to connect with our audience when we don't just talk about it from well at least for me I try not to talk about it only from a clinical standpoint, but just make it sound more real like everyday stuff that people are going through. I think that is going to captivate someone a bit more than just. All right, if you have pain with sex, please make sure that you go visit your doctor. But if you if you talk about it from a standpoint of, you know, girl, I went over there and I thought we was gonna have a good time and he could only do three strokes and we was done. You know, like something like that. I mean, because listen, that's something we can all relate to too, right? Yes, so like, we all know exactly what you're talking about there. Yeah. Um, and you know, I think one of the reasons we don't reach out for support is Partly, we don't even know that there is support for these things. Partly, it's like, oh, we just thought that this was normal or there was nothing wrong here. This is info we all need to hear, right? And not just in grade seven health class, but we need to hear as adults because it's adults making these decisions. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, it starts with a conversation and it starts with how comfortable we are. I mean, sometimes I do see... um, other clinicians on on social media and we're talking about similar things but the comfort level i think around the conversation could be a little bit lighter not that we have to because we are professionals and i feel like we should be able to come to the media space in a professional manner and everyone is not going to have that comical entertaining and you don't have to but i think that if your patient sees that you're not comfortable talking about things then they're not going to be comfortable dealing Bringing with it, it or talking. Yeah. yeah. So I think we can start to get very comfortable with talking about the ins and outs of not just sexual function, but bladder, bowel, you know, postpartum dysfunction, all, all the things. Yeah. And so if somebody is dealing with pain with sex of any kind, pain, discomfort, what would be, what are some things that you look at? What are some causes, contributors, treatments? Yeah. Um, One of the things for sure I look at is their overall muscle tone. You know, we've been told for so many decades that our vagina is supposed to be tight. So it's really hard to completely unravel that or, you know, dismantle that in a few years, because I think honestly, within the past few years, it's been more mainstream, at least in the social media space for pelvic physical therapy. And that's still a small bubble. There's the rest of the world that have never even heard of pelvic physical therapy. And they're still under the mindset that the the tightest that your vagina can be the best. You know, disclaimer, obviously the, the vagina naturally has tone and it, you know, if a penis or a toy goes in it, it would hug that object. But beyond that, I mean, it doesn't need to be like this grip <laughs> monster where the person can barely breathe. And, you know, when I do my exam, sometimes I... I'm praying for my finger. I'm like, my finger is getting <laughs> strangled in there. It's horrible. I'm like, this is dysfunction. And that's part of the reason why sex hurts. Not just why sex hurts, but why you're not getting wet. Because if it, if it's hurting, you're not going to be getting wet. If it's uncomfortable, you're not going to be getting wet. Um, you're not going to be orgasmic. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> so I think we, we just need to talk about that. Like mobility, flexibility, in the pelvic floor, which is the muscles that support our, our pelvic organs like bladder, bowel, um, uterus, just like we want to have flexibility in our hips and our back, 
the same thing needs to be there for the muscles that surround the vagina. And so I think that really staying there for a while and just saying, hey, can you feel things moving well down there? As opposed to like this little squeeze where we assume it might be weak, but it's probably actually tight. For for most of my, my patients that I worked with in urogynecology, it was tension that was the issue. Yeah, same. So that's where, that's where I love to start, just because we, we got to stay there. I mean, as much as we would like to think that all we have to do is say it once, your vagina needs to be mobile, flexible, strong, and have that, you know, that flexibility there, that I think that's going to take a while for people to not just know, but accept and embrace. Because for, for many women and people with vaginas, it's like a, a trophy. Like, oh, I got this tight vagina and he could only last three seconds. And girl, and it's like, girl, who's winning? <laughs> who's winning from this? <laughs> like you. three seconds? Yeah, I, yeah. Well, and I, like when you were saying that, I do remember when I was, like I've had two kids vaginally, right? So mm-hmm. I actually think that things feel a lot better because I I was too tight before and I didn't realize it till after I had kids. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like everyone was afraid for the first time sex postpartum. And for me, it was the best because I was like, that deep pain isn't there anymore. That pain isn't there anymore because my kids just like (laughs) stretched it all out and released a lot of tension and that I was holding. And sometimes you don't even realize you have mild dysfunction. Maybe it wasn't impacting you in a big way, but it was still there. Yeah. And it's the Kegels and the endless, you know, doctors handing out prescriptions to, oh, do more Kegels. Here's an app that will help you do more Kegels. And so women are thinking or people with vaginas are thinking this is what they need to do. And it's often making their pain with sex even worse. Absolutely. And I love what you said about how, you know, when you are, when you are constantly thinking that you need to continually tighten and, you know, things are not getting better. I think what we then hold on to for our ego boost is what we think a good vagina is, you know, what we think, um, you know, even, I don't know if people who listen to this podcast have heard of Cardi B. She's a, she's a rapper and on her Instagram bio, it literally says I have a Grammy award winning vagina. (laughs) And, And in my head, I'm just thinking, I wonder what people actually think that Grammy award-winning vagina is. Because for most people that are not in the medical space or pelvic physical therapy space specifically, it's tight and wet. And that those are the only two barriers and it's strong, which they think is tight. They think yeah. tight is synonymous with strong. Which it's not, so yeah. It's not. And yeah. So, girl, there's so much work to do in this space and it, it goes beyond just sex. It's it's relationships. It gets into your security uh, because if you're leaking and you constantly got to go pee, that messes with your self-esteem, the, the confidence in your body. Little do you know that it could be because you're too tense and not weak. So, and then, and then when we look at the amount of people who have, have pelvic floor dysfunction, who also have mental health disturbances, oh my gosh. I mean, it's it's ridiculous. So we're helping people on multiple levels, but we can get them to better understand their pelvis and the way it wants to work. I love that. And I think the mental health piece is important because even if someone is dealing with mental health issues, it doesn't mean that they have to then 
go see a therapist or get on meds and do deal with that first before they can also simultaneously deal with their pelvic health. And sometimes dealing with pelvic health, like I always get tell people, breathe, unclench, move, breathe, unclench your all the holes, jaw, you know, and then move. And even just simple tips like that helps people check in with their mental health throughout the day because they're like, oh, you know what? I was really stressed when I was talking to my kid's teacher and I like let go of that tension. And so that's impacting their mental health and their physical health. So I think as pelvic health therapists, we have a huge role in not just addressing the pelvis, but the whole person in front of us. Uh, I remember going to see a gynecologist before I had kids and I had said, oh, I don't feel, I don't get as wet as I did at, I was 20 or like, you know, whatever age. And I'm like, it's probably aging. And she's like, you know, that's not true. Like you're not, you're not perimenopausal. You're not menopausal. Like you can't blame it on that. She's like, there's something else. And she was right. I was really stressed. I was going through a lot of stuff at work and there was a lot going on mentally. And if she hadn't made that comment, I never would have linked it together. I would have just been like, now you've been juicy. Yeah. Well, <laughs> but now I can then recover. The waterfall has returned. The waterfalls. I mean, I, I, I won't say it's the same as it was when you were like 15 and like someone right. says the word and you're like game on. Right. right? Yeah. Maybe. Okay. I shouldn't say 15, 18. Let's, let's go at least of age. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> Save yourself. 18. 18. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Take back what I said. 18, yeah. 21. If my mom's right, right. 35, 23, 23. <laughs> But yeah, it's, you know, these conversations are important. In the Indian culture, we like the Kama Sutra, right? Everyone knows the sex book. It's Indian. Sex is very common. People, there's a huge population, but yeah, we don't talk about it. So people are all also doing it a lot, but they're also never talking about it. And like, there's this huge disconnect. And so no matter what culture you're in, if you're listening to this, Everybody does it. Everybody poops. Everybody has sex. We need to be talking about these things. Um, Can you talk about what an orgasm is and how that has to do with pelvic floors? Yeah. So an orgasm is the best thing that can happen when you're having sex. Um, Just kidding. Just kidding. (laughs) Some people are not. Some people are not (laughs) orgasming, but they're still having amazing experiences. But an orgasm is like the climax. So it's when you feel an intense amount of pleasure. Um, primarily in the pelvic region near your clitoris in the vagina. And you you feel like you get transported to some land of bliss for a second. And then it just kind of comes back down. You might feel like contractions. You might look like you're having a, like a seizure or it might be a little bit less intense, but you still feel like a contraction where your muscles are pulsing your pelvic floor muscles. So the muscles around your vagina, anus, even your uterus contracts when you're having a orgasm and helps with the strength of that orgasm Um, because the the vagina is connected to some of the pelvic floor muscles. The vagina is connected to the cervix, cervix, uterus. So they're all working together to give you that, that powerful sensation of pleasure and release. What we don't talk about though, is that it's the pelvic floor muscles that are contracting during the orgasm. So then that means that how much the pelvic floor can actually move is going to impact the orgasm. Also, how long your pelvic floor can contract and hold because that helps us with arousal. So while we're getting aroused, the muscles are somewhat tensing more because of the intense pleasure. And during that that phase when the pelvic floor muscles are tensing up, they're contracting on the head of your clitoris. Um, the bulbocavernosis, the ischiocavernosis attaches to the corpus cavernosum 
of the clitoris. And so during that time, that's helping to trap more blood in your clitoris. And that's helping to make the nerves more sensitive because more blood is getting trapped. So it's kind of like filling with blood. So essentially we're getting a clitoral erection. Mm -hmm. So strength of the pelvic floor, but also endurance of the pelvic floor. There was a study um, that looked at pelvic floor muscle function in women who orgasm and also women who are just having more sex. And what they found was that the strength actually was not that different, but the endurance of the pelvic floor was different. So I think it's bi-directional. By having more sex, you're going to build endurance in your pelvic floor muscles because that's every time you're having sex, that you're, that's your pelvic floor working. But then also, if you just have more endurance in your pelvic floor, then that is going to contribute to more sexual satisfaction, maybe a stronger orgasm. So then that's going to drive you to want to have sex more. <laughs> so, yes. you know, it, it's all connected, but the pelvic floor is, is very vital. I mean, for some people that are having difficulty having an orgasm, we could look at, well, can you contract your pelvic floor in a certain way? You might just need a little bit more force production, or it might be the opposite. A lot, and I, and I say a lot, of people that I work with, because I work with sexual pain a lot, most of my hypertonic bays, my too tight, my tense, they can't, they can't get to that orgasm, or they have to try so hard, they're clenching their whole body, they're clenching toes, head, <laughs> legs together. They they look like they're strangling their bodies to get to this orgasm because their pelvic floor is so contracted, it can't go anywhere else. Can't go anywhere else, yeah. So they have to get the tension from somewhere else to help build that tension because the pelvic floor is like, sorry, we're up to here. We can't do we, nothing We now. can't help. And you yeah. know, this is a very, very common thing we see in you mothers. I'm not talking like three weeks postpartum, like in the first few years, to be honest. What will happen is people will say, oh, my orgasms aren't as good. I have trouble getting, you know, orgasming. And there's many like other factors, you know, your kid's crying, you're sleep deprived, you're exhausted. There's Hormone. all those other factors, hormones, and also changing, changing relationships. Like before we used to do regular date nights. And now it's like, date date a quarter like every quarter we get out for a date because it's just hard and the kids are sick then you you plan something you got to cancel it so there's other factors but even in the pelvic floor itself what you just said is if you're too tight and your doctor is telling you even if you have a c-section you might think oh i don't have any pelvic floor issues but then now you're doing all the kegels because you feel weaker down there and yeah. that's actually contributing to your weaker orgasms yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I had a I had a client this week who kind of a little bit of the of the opposite spectrum. Um, she's pregnant for the second time and she's just feeling more space down there. So more laxity <clears throat> during intercourse. She's not feeling as much of the penis going in and out. So, of course, that would be on the other um, on the other side of not enough tone. And so for her, she's still achieving the orgasm, but it's weak. She said it does not feel the same. She's not satisfied with those orgasms. She just doesn't feel as confident in her body. Um, anymore. So I think the the whole, what we're trying to say here is as pelvic physical therapists is balance, muscular balance, where no, we don't want the vagina to be, you know, wide open. And you, it's like a, a hot dog going through a hallway. Right? <laughs> we, we don't want that. But at the same time, we don't want it to be so tense that the muscle no longer can contract and it no longer can contract with enough force. So then that's going to impact not even not even just orgasm, your actual sex drive and your self-esteem, your sexual self-esteem. Because I mean, let it, me tell you, when I like I've had sexual dysfunction and it is like um, 
it's hard to not take it personally. Like you feel like your body's failing you. And for anyone listening, who's like, Oh my gosh, like, that's how I feel. It's normal because it's such a, it's part of your life. And, you know, it's just like people athletes, when they have their ACL tear, they go through a, you know, psychological, sometimes a crisis and they feel really, their whole life is impacted by it. Same thing happens with sexual health. And, you know, I love how you said, the more you do it, the better it gets. And that's like, it makes sense because if we treat sexual activities like running or any kind of physical activity makes sense. The more you do it, the better endurance you have, the better you get at it. But some people are so turned off that they kind of are like, oh, I'll wait for it to improve before we, you know, get back to it. And then they just wait for it to get better. And then it just, nothing improves. Right. Yeah. And so it's important. That's an important point is that you don't have to just wait for everything to be um, stronger before you get better orgasms. It's actually doing it more can help with that. Yeah. Um, and what about the pain part? Because we know that a lot of people hold tension. You mentioned, you know, when you put a finger in, in the vagina and it's really tight, can you explain? Cause I know vaginismus is and vulvodynia. Those are things that you often talk about and that can often cause pain with sex too. Oh yes. I'm, I'm glad you said that. So we don't talk about this enough. Um, up to 17% of people have vulvodynia um, worldwide. So, and that's a lot. That's, that's a lot, lot of people, lot. okay? So vulvodynia is when any part of the vulva is, is hurting. It could be your clitoris, it could be your labia, it could be right around the vaginal opening and it usually feels like burning, but could there could be other feelings as well. Um, and so there's, there's many contributing factors, but one of the contributing factors is too much tension in the pelvic floor muscles. Um, which can be driving hypersensitivity of the nerves and contributing to, you know, just too much, uh, too much. Obviously, you shouldn't be feeling any pain, but allodynia is when you feel pain when a painful stimulant has not been exerted. So we're not scraping you, you know, we're not putting a needle through your vulva, but yet you feel this burning sensation with just touch. Or it can be unprovoked where you're not even touching it. And you're having like burning or achiness around your your inner lips or your coochie lips or your whatever you want to call it, labia minora. <laughs> um, but then there's then there's vaginismus where the muscles surrounding the vaginal opening and the overall pelvic floor are are too tense. But whenever sex is attempted, the our vaginal insertion is attempted. So also tampons and pelvic exams, speculums, fingers. Then the vaginal opening closes. So there's a muscle that surrounds the vaginal opening. That muscle completely closes whenever there's an attempt at insertion. These two conditions, in addition to dyspareunia, which is just painful sex, where Mm -hmm. it can happen, right? It's going in, but it's hurting. Those three conditions are so common. And when I tell you it's impacting one's whole life, I talked to someone this week who says she's no longer dating. She just doesn't want to do anything. She stopped dating. She's tired of disclosing that information. As soon as she meets someone, like, hey, I want to let you know that my, my my vulva burns. And if we try to have sex, it's probably not going to happen. Or maybe someone else who can't have sex because of vaginismus, it can't get in. Mm-hmm. And they want it to. They're trying to relax. They're trying to drink their wine. They're trying to use the, the lube. They're doing all the things and it's not working. So, you know, talking about more of these, these conditions are are so helpful because it even helps to to get people to realize that, hey, I shouldn't be putting up with painful sex. Because you have the people where the sex is is so painful, it's extreme, right? And we know that their life is impacted. But then you have the people who where it's like maybe mild to moderate pain and they're just 
settling because they don't even know that they can see someone about it or they're just so used to it. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, I just do it because I mean, my partner, I want my partner to be happy. So the more we talk about say, actually, you don't have to settle for this. Your sexual function is very much connected to your mental health. And I mean, think about all the endorphins that are released when you have good sex that feels great, that you feel more connected to your partner. You can also be more sexual. You can liberate yourself a little bit more when you're not feeling that pain. Um, so it helps. And there, girl, there's just so much to go here. I could I could just continue rambling on. So you you just let me know <laughs> when you're ready for me to well, stop. <laughs> and you know, you know what you just said there about I was thinking back to um a few times before I had kids where I did have pain with sex. And for me, it was actually a lot related to stress. And so whatever I was going, what I was, whatever was happening in my life, you know how your pelvic floor carries trauma. It carries, if you're stressed, you tuck your tailbone in, you're clenching. And that was something I never linked until, you know, much later on. And I never thought it was bad enough to actually get help. And me being, I was a physical therapist and working in orthopedics at the time. And so many times, it's normalized for folks with vulvas, women to just feel less than, to feel subpar. It's okay for us to feel subpar, but if if a man has even a paper cut, he's screaming about it, right? So it's, and I, you know, there's the other extreme where men have to suck it up and be macho and not talk yes. about things too. But there's a lot of women who, and I, I work at, with a lot of mothers, so I see this there, they feel awful but they're, they're okay with it because it's just been normalized for us to put it, put up with it. And yeah, and, um, and that's canceled. That's canceled. Yeah. We, we, we can't, we can't be dealing with this, this anymore. And, and what uh, message, what message, especially, cause I know you work with a lot of moms, what message are we sending to our, our daughters and, and our sons and our kids that we just put up with toxicity. We yeah. just put up with pain. You know, we, we don't stand up for ourselves or at least communicate when we're feeling something that's not right, only to let someone get off. I mean, that's, would you want your child to be that Absolutely way? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And I also love that, you know, something that I've talked to my uh, daughter and my son too, he's two now. So he's just starting to kind of comprehend more is like, when I go to see my therapist, when I go for self-care, I literally explicitly say, oh, mommy needs this and wants this so that I feel better and I feel, you know, my best. And so my kids are learning that, oh, it's not just, you know, first of all, the world doesn't revolve around me because kids often growing up in North America, they literally think the world revolves around them. When you grow up in Asia and other parts of the world, kids are part of the family, but they are not the family. You know, the parental units, they're the head of the household. And so they make sure that the kids also value the parents. It's not just that we're, you know, in North America, we value our children. We will sacrifice the most amount of money for the best stroller for them, the best outfits, the cute, you know, Christmas photos, but we won't sacrifice even a dime on our own health. And that mm, girl, that was a sermon right there. Yeah. Like, we need to go to India for a while and just take in the culture Listen, because there's a lot of issues there too, because you know, <laughs> There's a lot of issues there too, but the the family value system is different. Yeah, and, yeah, no, absolutely. You know, I mean, there are problems in every country, but the family unit is is foundational to society at large. I mean, the family creates the people who go to work, and then these workers create their communities. Communities create the city. City creates the state. State nation. So I, I feel that when you improve the family unit, and when I say improve, again, create balance. If yeah. everything is focused on the happiness of the child. And you're not looking at the parents. I mean, 
literally sometimes it's just asking for help. Sometimes you don't have the help and you have to be there with the kid. You can't go on any days. You can't have sex. The baby's always crying. But I mean, sometimes it's calling your friend and saying, hey, can you watch my child for like two hours while we go out? Yeah. But we're we're not thinking about that. Like you said, and I say we, but I don't have any kids. (laughs) But (laughs) But you work with you work with folks with this. And of course, I work in the postpartum world quite a bit. So many women. have you know the the tears the perennial tears i worked with a lot of women who had traumatic birth experiences so whether it was forceps or whether it was vacuum delivery or whether it was third and fourth degree tears i didn't even do first and second so uh, the the common thing is that most of these women would come in and say janelle i gotta tell you i love my husband but he just don't help he's just not He's just not doing, I love him. He's a good man, a good man, <laughs> but he's not helping me. And so there is a lot of stress, anxiety, they're overwhelmed and all of that could I think be improved if yeah. we, like you said, honored the, the parental, uh, the, the parental units a bit more and especially the mom. And especially the, the birthing parents. And, you know, a part of it is the systemic, like there's systemic issues in the U.S. I know there's like no mat leave, you know, one in four women are going back to work two weeks after birth. Like that is not helping their physical recovery, their mental recovery, emotional recovery, sexual health, nothing. And then there's the other aspect of it is that the people who, you know, in Canada, we have up to 18 months maternity leave, right? Unpaid or paid, depending if you have employment insurance. So it is, it is really good. But, but you're self-employed, of, so. But I'm self-employed, so. For your yes. next baby, you'll just, you know, be at home. There, there is no next baby. That, that's it. <laughs> I know. That was <laughs> my way of asking. <laughs> I see what you did there. Um, But yeah, like, you know, it's people who can't afford care for themselves. They they can't afford help. But there's this pressure to do it all yourself and to appear like you're doing it all yourself. That's why I talk about it. I'm like, we hired a house cleaner. (laughs) Don't look at the mess. It's still messy. You know, don't don't expect things to be perfect. My kids just we're not signing them up for a million things. I don't want them to be Olympic athletes. I just want them to be happy and just feel loved. Right. And they need just our time and attention. And even without signing them up for a million activities, they still barely get our time and attention with how busy right. the days are. So why, right. why do we want to, you know, yeah, I, I really do think that the culture, entire culture needs to change, but we also can't wait for it to change. We have to also be the change ourselves. So, so I'm glad you said that about, you know, the kids doing a million things. Cause one thing that I've noticed, and I did a lot of observation that the, the background that I grew up in was a church background, so religious Christian, um, seven-day Adventist. My mom was very involved in church. She Some of the things that she did was parenting, so she had a parenting club. And one of the things I noticed is that it seems as though before you have kids, your value comes from what you've achieved in life, like titles, degrees, money, house, cars. But then after you have kids, it becomes how much your kids can do. My kid just graduated top of the class and he's on the basketball team. And there's nothing wrong with it. Of course, you're going to be proud of your kids because you're raising them and they're a part of you. But then I think, well, what are you doing for yourself? I mean, so many people get lost in their kids. And I'm just like, your kid's achievement. Yes, you share that achievement because 
I mean, you guys have the same bloodline. But then also, I th think there should be a distinction between what you want to do in your life. What are some of the goals that you have? Don't let go of those things. Um, and I think my mom, you know, she was more of the sacrifice, put her dreams on hold for decades. She just recently got her master's. I'm so proud of her. That's you know, amazing. she's doing more for herself. She's getting into real estate. She's she's doing the things that I think she wanted to do. But I think in her mind, the way she grew up, you have and to that, give it that all generation to your kids. too, right? One hundred percent. Give it all to your kids. Sacrifice everything because the way you raise your kids depends how they grow up. And to a certain extent, yes. But again, balance. <laughs> the yeah. the word for today on the podcast is balance. Balance, yeah, and you know, and balance is hard to achieve. So it's not like oh, check mark, I've made it. It's right. a constant. Exactly constant effort. And I love that you said that because I, so I'm a, because I go all in whatever I'm doing, I think I, I hit that burnout faster. So, some moms, they're still like, I, I remember working with the mom. She's got three kids. She's like very high achieving job shows up before everybody else works all day, makes her kids. I kid you not three different lunches perfectly, you know, cooks them food from scratch herself. Her husband, I don't know what he does, but she's doing it all. She is so stressed, so burnt out. But I, I saw that. I'm like, that is not, that is not for me a goal. So that is do not you a think hero. she gains that she gains fulfillment from this? Ha has she actually said that she's stressed? She is, but she doesn't. She also enjoys the other stuff. And I said, you like, I know for me, I work with clients who are like, but I love cooking. I love, you know, doing this for my kids. I love seeing the joy on their faces. And I said, how about what makes you see the joy on your own face too, because Ooh. it's not just about, I love seeing, obviously I would love to see my kids smile all the time. I would do anything for that smile. It's so beautiful and it's so heartwarming, but then you forget that you're also a human being and you also need to do those things for yourself. So when my daughter was about, I would say 18 months, I 15 to 18 months, that's when I was like, okay, no more of this. And that's quick. Most, most parents don't hit that point until their kids are like 15 and 18 and they move out of, yeah. move out yeah. of their house. And, uh, I, for me, I, I, I was all in that first year, every holiday, everything, I made it big for her. And I was like, I want to give her all the opportunities I didn't have as an immigrant. But then I was like, wait, she's only a baby. She's not going to remember any of this. And these things don't actually matter to her. A sane mom who's not stressed out and burnt out and you know feels awful yeah. in her body that's what yeah. matters more and I yeah. see so many moms feel like crap in their bodies and I want them to know that they can get help even mm -hmm. if it's just if even if you're busy there's things you can do that are so small that yeah. you can start to make a major impact in your pelvic Absolutely. floor health your sexual health yeah. um can you talk a little bit about the clitoris because everybody thinks that the clitoris is a button <laughs> Oh my gosh. Yes. And that it's like this small. Um, yes. What is you know, it? And how, how big is it? Into, yeah. Let's get into the clitoris. Um, Surabi, I want to say one thing before we get to the clitoris, if you don't mind. Yeah. While we're on the topic of momhood and mom life, I have to say this because we're talking about pelvic floor health and sexual health, that you, it's okay to lock the door and go have sex. Like it's okay to go put the TV on for the kids or put them in that rocker. And it's okay if the baby cries. I know it's hard for moms to hear your baby crying. Um, but can you turn the music up <laughs> so you can't hear the crying? <laughs> like, literally, your baby in the child is not going to die if you take 30 <laughs> minutes or 25 to go do something. Or three so seconds. I, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think because it, it helps to restore some of that, the feeling of you as you and not just you as mom. 
Yeah. Because before, I mean, this is what led to the baby, your sex life. You know, this is the message I needed to hear. Yeah, for something like that. Yeah. So helping to restore that identity of you having your own life, um, I think it's important. Okay. Just really needed to say that you can lock the door. Thank you. No, thank you for saying that because I feel a lock on the door. Put a lock on the door. We don't have a lock on our door, but we have a lock on their door. So they can't get out uh, because they were, my daughter was getting out in the middle of the night, watering the plants one night, like in her sleep. I was like, this is unsafe. She was climbing up to the kitchen, pouring herself cereal. I was like, she's going to lock on the door. But I love, she wasn't bothering you all though. She was she doing her own thing. She, she was playing she with. She said, let me go ahead and water these plants. <laughs> You know, one night Tom woke up and he's like, what is happening? And she, he was like, I died laughing. She was literally had the watering can, but she was, I kid you not two, two and a half. This kid, wow. uh, anyways, they, She's they taking better care of her plants than I am at the age of 32. <laughs> and better care than me. But uh, thank you for saying that because I wish that I heard that message as a new mom, because I definitely felt like a part of my womanhood was taken away when I became a mom. Like yeah. these, the breasts were only for feeding the baby. Like it, everything became so about the baby and not yeah. about, oh, it's for also for myself. Like your manufacturing also, system, you yeah. know? That's what I felt yeah. like. I was like, I feel like I'm just a machine for someone else now. And it took me a long time to actually feel like my body was mine again. And um, we don't have to rush the process. Sometimes that process takes some time, but I think what you just said, it's okay to lock the door and prioritize your sex life. And these are all, these are all important things. Okay. Let's get into the clitoris. clitoris. Okay. The clitoris is okay. So we, we typically think about penis, vagina, right? Penis, vagina, like they're the two the two organs, sexual The major organs. players, yeah. That, that's wrong. The vagina is the reproductive organ, okay? It's it's the place for the blood to get out, your cervical fluid to get out, babies to get out, and penis to get in to get the sperm inside. That is the purpose of the vagina. Now, can sex feel good with something going in and out of the vagina? Yes, because the clitoris is close to the vagina. But the clitoris is our pleasure organ. It is literally very similar to the penis. So our clitoris should be getting big when we are aroused. Now, it won't get super big every time. <laughs> you're not going to grow penis. Yeah. Right. You're not going to have a penis down there if you were born uh, with a vagina unless uh, uh, you have a, a surgery. But the thing is that we don't pay attention to those things. All we do is, okay, the penis owner, he, they're hard. Okay, great. All right. Um, what about you? Are, are you hard? Because the the, the more aroused you get, the more that clitoris is going to grow and expand with blood, the the easier it is going to be for you to have your orgasm and the stronger, the stronger your orgasm will be. This is what helps create sexual satisfaction. One sexual satisfaction is one of the biggest predictors of your sex drive. And we could just stay there for a bit because that means I have never talked to someone who has a high sex drive that tells me that their sex sucks. I want to have sex all the time, but it's horrible, girl. <laughs> I never orgasm. It feels horrible. I don't feel like I'm getting aroused, and and it and it and it's painful. And I I don't I don't see that happening. When I hear from people that they have high sex drive and they enjoy sex, the sex for them and sex looks different for everyone is good. So then, if we focus on positions that stimulate the clitoris more. If we focus on um, more foreplay that may involve clitoral stimulation for longer periods of time before penis and vagina, 
if we focus on educating ourselves on how the clitoris works, quick plug for my for my classes coming up next year. Yes. <laughs> I'm doing a clitoral anatomy class for educators, all pelvic educators, a lot I'm of instructors, nurses, physical therapists. We're going to talk about it from a scientific standpoint on the research that we do have. I mean, obviously, there's not a whole bunch of research, but let's talk about the research that we do have. And really get get down to this because it's not prioritized, even among the medical community. I've never had a gynecologist ask me anything about my clitoris. Never. And I've never had them even assess it. No. They're going straight for my cervix every time. Yeah. And, and, and that's very important. I do encourage people to get their pap smears. Please do, because cervical cancer can be prevented. However, that is not enough. That And that is doing us as women and vagina CEOs a disservice. Because 98% of people that have a penis are going to orgasm every time. But if you have pain on your clitoris, if you can't even feel sensation to your clitoris, if you feel like your clitoris is getting dry and irritated and, you know, all these different, that's impacting your health. We have to say this. Sexual health is just health. It's just health. We, we put it in a different box. It's health. So I think that we have to start talking about how the, uh, the the organ that is similar to the penis is the clitoris and not the vagina and the vulva. We have to talk about the vulva because the clitoris lives in the vulva, Yeah. right? So the more time we spend learning about that, I, I think overall we'll be more educated and people will know at least where it is. There's a lot of us that don't even know where it is. And I'm talking about women and people with vaginas right now. We like anytime, to share- Anytime I have shared a post on this is even just- where your vagina is and where you're like people are learning so much and yeah. like that makes me really sad in many ways because I'm like oh my gosh there are full-grown adults who don't know their body parts and they're having humans they're not teaching their kids anything yeah. I remember seeing this eight-year-old girl at a grocery store and she's like I just found out I have a hoo-ha ha, ha, ha. and I'm yeah. like that's not funny you're eight my, my two-year-old already knows what a vulva is. Like your parents are not teaching you these words. And like, yeah, it's kind of funny to say hoo-ha, vajayjay, yeah. all, all those yeah. words, but let's also call it what it is. And um, wow, what you just said about your gynecologist, it just reminded me that the world just sees us as reproductive organs. So they only Absolutely. care about our reproduction. They don't, Absolutely. I mean, and if that, if they care about anything, it's that they don't really care about our sexual or our satisfaction, our pleasure, um, and that's why they're not looking at our clitoris. Like they I were never know. taught to. Unfortunately, they were never taught it's to. not in the curriculum for for medical doctors yeah. to to go into clitoral function, unless maybe someone is specializing in that. But I don't even hear about specialists very often when it comes to the clitoris. So, you know, there's clitoridynia, which is a form of vulvodynia. So your clitoris is hurting. There, there's just so many things. Even if it's not hurting, is it functioning well? Um, one of the things that we don't talk about is the connection between things like PCOS and sexual function. So with PCOS, you're, you're more than likely to have higher levels of insulin, higher levels of, levels of cholesterol and blood sugar. So that's going to impact the amount of blood that can get to your clitoris. If your blood vessels have more cholesterol in them, if your insulin levels are higher, meaning sugar is not getting into the cell, every cell of the body needs sugar. Because that's the energy source. It's like your car is not going to move if there's no gas in that car. So you have to have gas in the car. For women with PCOS and diabetes and insulin resistance, it's like the fuel is not getting in our cars. And so you have a little fuel in your in your clitoris. Your clitoris needs the energy to do all the things, help you get to that orgasm, be aroused, feel good. And so if you are having, and even your waist circumference, 
We're living in an age where there's more body positivity, and I love that. But there's also just the medical facts of if someone has a larger waist circumference, in addition to other things like higher insulin levels, higher blood sugar levels, um, and higher cholesterol levels, you're, you're less likely to orgasm and you're going to have less sensitivity with sex. Um, so, so it's again, blood flow, right? It comes to, down to the blood and the shirt. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. it goes back to sexual health is health. <laughs> so the healthier you are in general, it can, it can help with your sexual function, especially with exercising and everything. Um, so yeah, I, I love that you're bringing up the clitoris. We, we have to continue talking about it beyond the super, superficial way that we do. I mean, we know that the clitoris is there and like, focus on the clitoris. Okay, what, what about it? Um, we could even get into what are different ways to stimulate the clitoris. Um, how, so I think it's, so we were talking about how it's sad that as adults, you know, some people don't know where the clitoris is, but we have to start assuming that people don't know. Yeah, that's what I so realize many, now. They yeah, just don't. there's so many people in our audience where you have the people that do know, then you also have the people that don't. So I would say like 90% don't know. That's what I think. Mercy. Based on based on how many saves I get for posts and shares I get for certain posts that I'm like, this is basic. Everybody knows this. Yeah. But then they're like, I showed my teenager this. I, this is so helpful. And I'm like, okay. I'm like basics, yeah. people need the basics. And yeah, yeah. You know, it's um th- what you just said about blood flow and you know, getting the sugars in. This is why when people are told to just go on a diet, don't eat any carbs, like your body needs carbs. And oh my gosh. It I, ha- I know somebody who, who's told this during pregnancy. Oh, you should stop eating carbs. Cause you know how some people test positive for gestational diabetes and that test alone, there's who knows how accurate it is. Yeah. yeah. Not very accurate, but you cannot starve your body of carbs or food and expect your vagina to work. Yes, absolutely. I love to say this to people. There's only three major nutrients, carbs, protein, and fats. If you take away one, you don't got much nutrients left. So carbohydrates, believe it or not, is the most nutrient-dense food group. Hmm. There are more nutrients in carbohydrates than there are in protein sources and fat sources. Carbohydrates are fruits and vegetables, okay? And fruits and vegetables are jam-packed with some of the most strongest disease-fighting molecules, antioxidants, all the vitamins and minerals, so many of us are deficient in a lot of vitamins and min- vitamin D. I mean, iron, magnesium. Let's talk about that because that's contributing to some of the sexual dysfunction. The, the vagina has nutrient needs. The clitoris has nutrient needs through the blood. And it's important that we talk about not just eating carbs, but let's let's go on a limb here, Sylvie, and, and tell the folks that 60 to 60% of your diet should be carbs. (laughs) Yes. If you look at the nutrient plate, you're not going to be happy. You shouldn't be having 75% protein. I'm sorry that you can't even process more than about 25 grams of protein in one sitting. So you're going to eat all the protein you want, but it's not even really helping you if you go beyond a certain, uh, a certain point. And then fat, you you can't overdo it on fat either, but you need, you need the carbohydrates. This is a big thing that your clitoris and your vagina is doing to create your sex drive, your arousal, your sex, your satisfaction, your orgasm. That takes energy. And you, <laughs> that know, takes energy. you know what I would say too? It's like, so I'm vegetarian. I've been one all my life. And like a lot of 
Indians, a lot of South Asians are vegetarian, plant-based. We eat a lot of veggies and fruits and that's just part of our diet. You come to North America, you know, I'm in Canada. It's cold. I mean, similar to where you live, it's cold half the year. You don't get the same produce. And so we start eating differently. We start eating maybe less fruits and veggies and more, we're still eating carbs, but maybe more grains and not as much of that nutrient dense fruits and veggies. And, and that impacts grains, our health, more, more processed grains too. Yeah. And, you know, of course there's lots of foods that are processed that are great for us, but we also need yeah. those fruits and veggies. And yeah. I love yeah. that you share those recipes. I have your, uh, your, uh, food, your, do you? Yeah, I oh, have your food guide. Food e -guide. Food e -guide. I got that yes. and I was like, I'm going to incorporate more of these nutrients. And as I'm flipping through that, I'm like, oh, like okra. Like these are things I grew up with that yes. we need to go back to eating those types of cultural foods because they're That's rich true. in nutrients. And these types of problems, they exist worldwide, but we need to um, not, not demonize carbs. Like carbs are essential. Uh, oh, absolutely. And the good thing about I was also raised vegetarian for a good Are part you? of my life. Nice. I was raised vegetarian. Yeah. For so for my religion, Seminary Adventist, we we have this thing where we believe in health wholeheartedly. And for us, it's it's healthier to get your protein from plants yeah. and and not indulge in meat and everything. And, and I've 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 changed. I eat meat <laughs> now. I, I'm trying to get back to my roots. But the good thing about when you get protein from a plant is that you're also getting um fiber. Yeah. Every plant protein source comes, there's no plant protein source that doesn't have fiber. But when you get your, your protein from meat, which is not bad, again, I eat meat, it doesn't have any fiber at all. So one of the things that helps us with our hormones is our bowel regularity and our liver and our gut. And so if you're eating more of the foods that have more of those major nutrients, remember carbs, protein, fat, then it's helping with your digestion. And so I'm glad that you got my vagina food e-guide though. I actually need to read through it more. I like to use it for grocery shopping because there's, I mean, there's so many, yeah, there's like beets. There were so many good yeah. foods that I was like, yeah. Oh yeah, we got to eat this more. And you know, yeah. it's, there's one thing that I find is really, really important with, with nutrition, especially in, you know, a lot of people don't eat enough. And then we reach for things like coffee, Starbucks. I, I know, I know I've done that. You're tired, you're reaching for sugar, but right. it's the sugar from the sources that don't also have a lot of nutrients. And that's fine once in a while. But I right. know, I know for a fact, mothers skip breakfast. They're drinking one smoothie all day and then they're eating dinner. And then late night Absolutely. comes and they're snacking, snacking, snacking. And I did yeah. that myself. And it's yeah. not healthy. Even if you don't gain the weight, it's not about the weight. It's about what is happening in your body Absolutely. and your blood flow. You know, your. I started to notice like if my libido, if my libido is going down, I look at that. I look at that as a health warning. We ignore that. We think it's not a big deal. But I'm like, mm. well, why is this happening? It is a warning. It's like. I said I do in the Caribbean. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it is a warning sign and we, we yeah. can't ignore it, right? And it's just like, you know, rectal dysfunction is in, in you it's know, folks with penis, it's a warning yeah. sign. And so it's not just about the sex, it's about like blood flow, cardiovascular. What does this about mean? So much, yeah. yeah, what does this Why is this mean? happening? Uh, and even if it's as simple as, you know, you and your partner have some issues to work out of, that's yeah. important to actually reflect on and, and do yeah. and not just ignore, oh, yeah, I don't have a libido, but like, I'll just fake it and, you know, push my push myself for the satisfaction of my partner. You know, I am so excited you talked about libido 
this is by far the number one topic that goes wild whenever I post on it. And most of my audience is between 25 to about 34. That's my target range. Yeah. People are struggling with their little bit as sex positive and as sex out, you know, sex is everywhere in this day and age. It's everywhere. Everyone's posting about it. But I think if we get real, a lot of us don't want it. And, the, and not that we don't want to want it, but our body is not giving us those signals. It's not, maybe it's not getting enough nutrients. Maybe we're too stressed. They exercise. Love dieting, that, Listen, ooh, exercise. exercise. For me, it's the exercise makes a huge deal because I used to be, I used to run, I used to cross country ski race. So like a lot of cardiovascular endurance exercise, which means a lot of blood flow, heart health is great. And then I became a mom and I, I, I can't blame it on being a mom. Literally, I got lazy. I stopped doing that kind it's of stuff. It's a contributing factor. Yeah, it's a contributing factor. And then I became a mom and you know, all that less time on our hands. So less cardiovascular fitness yeah. also impacts your yeah. libido. And Absolutely. so when I go for a bike ride or run, I feel, I feel different energy. You know, it's like, yeah. it's an immediate, you know, change. And it's just yeah. your body is like, Oh, there's more blood flow in places. This is yeah. a good thing. There's more yes. normal function. And I, I'm glad Absolutely. you mentioned PCOS too, because that's something that so many people deal with, whether yes. it's diagnosed officially or not, people are dealing with that cluster of symptoms. And it's not as simple as just do pelvic floor physio. It's also get your nutrients checked, get your blood, blood tests, blood work done. Um, I think it's mandatory that you should have a postpartum blood check, blood, a blood work appointment, check your iron, check your vitamin D mine were dangerously low for both of them. And they care about checking that during pregnancy. But as soon as you have the baby, they just leave you. So you have to advocate for yourself and have these things checked routinely to, and also check in with your body. How do you feel? Um, Because we blame everything on, oh, I have poor libido, but maybe you're lacking simple nutrients that can make a big Mm, difference. Like magnesium, vitamin D. Vitamin D is literally a hormone. Yeah. It's it's, it's very interesting. I mean, men that have uh, low low testosterone, men that have uh, low libido, men that have erectile dysfunction, many of them have vitamin D deficiencies. And for women and people with a uterus, Vitamin D is highly connected to one's fertility. Fibroids, women that have fibroids, they typically have lower levels of vitamin D. I mean, this is really important um, for our hormone regulation. Um, and so and mood, definitely right? look into getting foods every day that have those vitamins. I know we want to get a multivitamin and nothing wrong with that, but try to get foods that have the vitamins because you're going to better absorb it because it comes with the necessary uh, nutrients that help you to actually digest it. Yeah. It's like, for example, iron, whole even, iron can't even be absorbed without vitamin C. Yeah. So a lot of the foods that are rich in iron that are plant-based foods have the vitamin C there. Yeah. So um, that's one good thing about nature is that, you know, nature, or I believe in God. So God created these foods you know, strategically for us or whatever you believe nature is, is the best medicine. Nature is. And, you know, it's as much as we try to scientifically create things that are better than nature, it's not going to be as good as just nature is right. And, um, I also going back to plant-based stuff and I'm biased because I grew up in a, with mostly plant-based foods. That's a lie. I grew up eating eggs once in a while and dairy mm-hmm. and stuff, but right now I'm mostly plant-based, but in North America, the standards for constipation are so low. So you could be pooping every three days and still not be technically constipated. And I'm like, 
Like if you tell somebody in Asia or even, you know, across the continent of Africa, if you told them that they'd be like, excuse me, you're eating three times a day. Why are you pooping once a week? Why are you pooping twice a week, three times a week? Like I I actually have, I don't think they can meet the demand of people that will be coming in for help. So (laughs) then they create this, this small sense of reality that, yeah, you can eat two or three times a day as long as you poop once. And they say nothing else about your poop health. Just the amount. Just the amount. That alone is not. Doesn't not matter enough. if you're straining, you got pellets. Yeah. And, and like, this is the other part of it. Pellets every time <laughs> or like, yeah. yeah, you know, this is the other part of it is like normal is just what is common. So the normal American standard American diet is not the best for our bodies, which means those same people are not pooping as frequently, but that is normal because it is what's common. But if we look globally and we look at cultures that like, you know, have less hemorrhoids, have less straining, have less constipation, they're pooping like average one to two times a day. That's their average. They're eating all the fiber and, you know, it's not an issue. I I've never had a problem getting fiber. Like I, I can't even imagine how I wouldn't get it because every food that I eat, essentially has it oh, yeah, of course you know of course there's days that i'm just purely eating And there like, are those unhealthy vegetarians where they eat oreos and potato chips but you're different well i eat those too but it's 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 and right it's not like right. i'm only i'm substituting one for the other right right and i to t- let me tell you i can eat more vegetables any day like we can all i think do, do to eat more veggies in our diet especially in the winter months where it's so yeah. easy to throw in a soup or you know we're not eating as many salads and stuff. And I don't, I don't like cold salads anyways, but I think there's a point where we get that we have to stop looking at trying to be normal and understand that we just want to feel good in our bodies. Don't try to be normal. Like the other Americans who are unhealthy and pooping twice a week, three times a week. Let's just be healthy. Let's let's just be healthy. healthy. Yeah. And if your doctor tells you, Oh, this is normal. But if you still feel poorly in your body, like dig around, ask, advocate for yeah. yourself. Yeah. Um, and that's same with pain with sex or, you know, oh, people will say, oh, you're only a couple months postpartum. What do you expect? But there's so much you can do for, to prepare yourself to so mm-hmm. much you can do to actually resolve these issues instead of yeah. just waiting for time to pass and uh, it ending up being a psychological issue too. Then, you know, the longer that goes, these issues goes, the more in your head you get about it because it's yeah. your, your brain and your body are wired together. Totally. Um, can you talk about sexual health dysfunction and how it work with their partners? Because you, you, you told me yourself, somebody stopped dating because they're stressed about having to constantly go to their partners and have these conversations Uh, in your experience. Have you seen it go over well where the partner is understanding or where they may be, you know, it's, it's just a positive experience. Yeah. I've seen both where I would say mostly I see actually the supportive partner. I think not that there's not an, a lot of people that are unsupportive, but usually by the time someone's seeking help, they're in a relationship and the relationship is on, not on the rocks, but at risk of not having that sexual, that sexual connection. So yeah. then you're more likely to seek help when it's not just impacting you, but also impacting someone, someone else. else. Yeah. So that, that so that partner is there. They're, it's it's not that they're not being impacted, but they're trying to be supportive through that struggle. But then I've also talked to people with vaginismus where things can't get in the vagina, tampon, finger, penis, or it's it's situational where you can get a tampon in, but the, the penis won't go in no matter how hard you try. 
vaginismus, I've talked to people where, you know, their, their partner left, where they, they were trying and trying. And for that person, they couldn't deal with that. So yeah. they left. Or the, the person who has vaginismus has completely given up on dating. And it's been years. Like, they're like, I am just not doing this anymore. Because yeah. that is mentally taxing. I mean, our vagina is, is, is part of our identity in a sense. This is the place where we have babies. This is the place where we come from. We bleed from it every month. We assume that anything is going to be able to go in and out without issue because that should be the case. And so yeah. when that's not happening, there's a lot of questioning, doubt, insecurity, depression, all the things. And so um, I, I've seen it go both ways. There's even a study, though, that says the partner's of women that have vaginismus and, and chronic sexual dysfunction, they also have higher levels of sexual dysfunction. Hmm. So by struggling through, you know, this experience of we can't have penetrative sex, the partner can then also develop things like premature ejaculation, right. uh, erectile dysfunction, or delayed ejaculation. You know, it's, we're, we're going to yeah. impact, we're going to impact the people closest to us. Um, and so, yeah, that we have to talk about that. It, it's very important, especially for our, our mental health. I, I like yeah. to say that your vagina is a mental health organ, your clitoris especially. <laughs> <laughs> if it's not working for you, there's something wrong. And, you know, there's some... There's but there's a- serotonin too. Serotonin yeah. actually helps with um, vaginal function. So when you look at vaginal fluid, there's a lot of serotonin in vaginal fluid. So our the the level of our happiness, our mental health, actually helps with things like lubrication, contraction, arousal, all of that stuff that we think is only separated for our brain and our happiness can impact our our vaginal sexual pelvic floor function. And a lot of the times, if people are dealing with persistent pelvic floor issues, if you're not also dealing with your mental health or seeking support for that, like that's I think a huge step that's uh, actually missing in the conversations around pelvic health is we need also mental health support. Cause if you're, you know, trauma abuse, yes. there's a, you know, things that you haven't even processed in your life that yes. could be affecting your pelvic health. That's totally. unrelated to your partner, you know, and it's yeah. maybe a previous partner or some, or some other experience. And, and I think that's I, why um, so many people use the dilate for a gajillion years and they're not getting better. It's like, I'm, I'm on the largest dilator, but I just can't, well, this is a psychosexual condition. So I don't care how much Botox you use, all the trigger points, you can get the wands and the vibrating wand, the warming wand, all of that. But if you're not spending enough time and if you cannot get to a professional for your mental health, how can you better support your mental health? Can you right. talk to your family members about it? Can you start journaling? Can journaling, you get a simple health? stuff. Yeah. Can you get a mindfulness app? Can you yeah. know what can you do to better help yourself? Because this is not just a vagina problem. No. It's, it's fueled by what's happening in the mind. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. It's, uh, <laughs> and I feel like people give up, they go to their one physio appointment and they're like, Oh, didn't heal my vaginismus, but it's like, or like, you know, but it's when we approach it from a whole human perspective, whole human, you know, who's experiencing not just a physical symptom, but also probably mental symptoms of that physical pain and uh, dysfunction, then we can actually take a step forward in the right direction. So some final thoughts here before we kind of wrap up today. I want to know about you and what you are listening to, reading. What's something that you listen to a podcast or a book that's been life-changing for you? 
Woo! I'm glad you brought up this question. You know, right now I'm actually, I didn't even know you had a podcast. Let me start there. <laughs> I didn't okay, even that's know you my had a podcast. I haven't done a good job marketing it then. I have a couple of friends that have a podcast on Pelican Storehouse, but I'm, I'm actually in the midst of trying to find some more podcasts that I enjoy um, surrounding public health and vaginal health. But a, a book that has really been life-changing for me was this book called Every Good Endeavor by Timothy Keller. And he talks about how to connect your work to God's work. And that helped me. I, I read that so long ago and it, it brought a new insight and perspective that I took to my work. And when you take your work as a divine thing, I think you bring a little bit more passion and purpose to your work and people can feel that. And that that's really helped me because as someone who grew up Christian, you yeah. know, there's a, there's a big emphasis on serving God and doing good things for other people. Um, but when you learn that your work, I mean, you're spending hours, whatever your job is, you're spending hours doing it. So for me, learning how I can do this to better serve humanity and, and better serve God was uh, a book that, that really changed my life. And I, I would even go back and read it again. Um, and then another book called Hood Feminism. I forget the author, Nikki, I forget her last name, but it's called Hood Feminism. I've heard that book. Yeah. It's so, so good because typically we, we hear people scream feminism all the time. But typically when we're talking about feminism, it's just really a transfer of power from, from white rich men to white rich women. women. Yeah. Most of the, 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 fem, you know, it's, but are we supporting even the people that are not quote unquote respectable? What are we doing for the women who are prostitutes? What are we doing for the women that, that are on welfare? What are we doing for gay women? What are we doing for black and brown women? Usually feminism doesn't really take on um, the emphasis to support those communities and those demographics. So hood feminism, I love it because it's like, yes, let's be feminist, but let's be feminist for every woman. Yeah. Because that's what feminism should be. That's it what it should be. be. about elevating one small group of people or a type of person, even if it's not just a type of person. Yeah. H how do we support everyone um, as we fight for, for human rights and women's rights? Yeah. Um, so that, that was another great book that I love. I love that. I'm going to get that book because uh, it sounds awesome. And feminism is you're right it's truly that's why i never really related to the feminist movement because i'm like it's not for me these 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 things are not serving people like me they're serving usually privileged white women you know not the poor white women either <laughs> they're usually serving their privileged right, white women right. and that's it's, it's about. um yeah. it's usually yeah we need to make sure that our spaces are actually welcoming and including people who are yeah. Yeah. needing the help the most. And I think yeah. that you do do the Lord's work, if I may say so myself. You know, I grew up at, at being in a Hindu family and there is a lot of, you know, even in the yoga culture, yoga is Indian, right? Like we grew up mm -hmm. with yoga in our family and in our, in our households. And it's not about asanas and poses. It's about servitude as well. And speaking up, using your voice for things that matter. And I yeah. feel like in that way, you embody this, I embody this, and people who are truly passionate about the work that they're doing, it comes from a place of serving others. And I yeah. think you can definitely see that in your your work and your page and um, just the, the love you put in 
the love you put into Thank it you. all. Thank you. I appreciate that. Tell me about your self-care because I know you've been busy. I know you've been busy the past. Yeah. You know what? I, I went through your questions before this podcast and I, yeah. and I saw that question. And I was like, oh, shoot. So the question of what do I do for self-care? Three things. Three a day. things. I was like, oh, Daily. get a break. So to me. Daily. Um, I could, I know, could say five things, but three, let's keep it basic. I can grow. This is an area I can grow up. I love that you said earlier in the podcast that you grew up in a home where you really honored your parents and the the role of the parents. That was the center of the house and not the kids. Unfortunately, I never really saw my mom taking time for herself, like in a self-care way. It was always her trying to make ends meet, her trying to make sure that we're involved in a gajillion things, um, her trying to help the church. I never, I never saw my mom like just sit down and read a book. I, I never saw that. Yes. So for me, it's really, I, I don't want to blame my mom. It's just no. something that I have the to culture. grow in. Yeah. yeah, I have to grow in that. Every day though, what I do try and do is um, move my body, stretch on my yoga mat or on the bed. Um, I'm naturally just someone who holds more tension, not necessarily my pelvic floor, but hamstrings tight, calves tight. Naturally, I'm from a kid. I've never been that flexible. Um, so that's something that I have to do a little bit more now because obviously I'm getting older. And so mobility in the mornings, prayer, um, I want to make sure that I'm I'm coming to my audience with a good heart, not selfishness or judgmentalism, um, really going for what would be best for the patient. And even when it comes to trying to grow your business from a financial standpoint, you know, I, I don't want just any money. I, I want to make money in ways that are actually serving by people and not just trying to take everyone's money. Trying to get the best deal. Yeah. 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 I I don't even know how I treat that, but let me take my money. No, I want to make sure that I'm coming at it from the right place. And for me, as someone who grew up believing in God and still does, uh, prayer is is a part of that. Um, And then I would say this sounds simple, but laughing. I mean, (laughs) laugh every day. I, I don't, that's one thing about me. I don't take myself that seriously. And, and I can, if you put me on a stage and, you know, I, cause I love to speak motivational speaking. So I'm having a more serious side with that stuff or preaching, but generally I'm pretty laid back and you're going to find me laughing about something. And so I think for me, that really helps for me to not be tense and anxious and all of that. Although I, I am developing a little bit more anxiety, the more time I spend on social media, let me just you put know, that out there. It's the true. more time you spend on social media the more anxious you will feel. It's very stimulating. You're constantly stimulating. There's waiting no time for that. Yeah, there's, yeah. I, and I think that it's, it's when we look at how it's designed, it's actually designed for that. So it's not, it's actually normal that you feel anxious on social media. It's, it would be weird if you didn't, right? And so really taking that time to, especially this is the thing for you. I know you switched to virtual care fully recently. That's something that I recognize is get outside every day because mm. it's so easy when you're virtual to just be at home all the time, Ooh. not see a human being, but you got to get outside every day. And yeah. when I don't do this, my mental health does start to go down. I get anxious. I get like literally like a hamster stuck in, you know, and I see mm. this in my kids. Cause if I don't take them outside every day to play, run around, they are disasters by the end of the day. And I'm like, wait a second. I'm just a grown up kid. Like I, I yeah. also need that energy. Exactly. Myself, yeah. So. Yeah, uh, I love that you mentioned that. And self-care, I, I don't want, I grew up with a family that my mom did everything as well. So they were still the center in terms of we have to respect them and we needed to respect them and value them. But my mom cooked, cleaned, worked full time, got her master's when I was a kid. She did it all. 
And I saw that and I was like, that's, that life is not for me. That life is not for me. My mom is still happy. She loves serving others, but I also know that she lost out on a lot of her own joys. And, you know, I'm trying to get her back to painting and things that she loves now. She's Mm -hmm. doing my fitness membership with me and it makes me so happy because I feel like it's never too late to start taking care of yourself. Um, you know, we're in our thirties. We're lucky that we're figuring this out now. A lot of women don't figure it out till they're 60s, 70s, you know? Very true. Um, all right, Janelle, if the, what's the something, what's something you're super passionate about recently? I know you're passionate about a lot of things. Um, I'm actually passionate about travel. I really love traveling. Um, I didn't even start posting on Instagram about vaginas until I couldn't post about traveling because of the pandemic. My my thing, I didn't care to share this vaginal pelvic floor thing with everyone. I was just like, that's my career. I do it in private. I'll see you one-on-one and that's it. But before I start, before it was Vagina Rehab Doctor, my other page is Journeys and Jet Lag. And um, what I was trying to do was teach people that look like you and me and anyone really, that traveling is not just for wealthy people and people who are retired. You can be a broke college student and, and go to Paris. And so I, I was teaching this this class how to journey the world on a dime. And uh, now I obviously I can't do both as much. So I'm more focused on this now. But traveling is really a, a passion for me. I've been to like almost 25 countries. And I wanna I wanna teach women how to, especially single women, how to use travel as a way to nourish more romance and adventure in their lives. Um, mm. A lot of single women are waiting for a man to come or anyone to come. And you don't have to be a woman. It's just this pressure or no, I, I want to wait until I'm married before I go to Greece because it's a romantic destination. Okay, well, do you have a date? Like, because if you just keep waiting, I mean, it's it's just a disturbance. So that's one of the things I'm really passionate about. I would love to to blend pelvic floor health and travel like a retreat or something. Listen, that's what I'm visualizing for you is retreat for, Thank you. for all the single folks who and yes. like reigniting their passion and they're romancing themselves. You can call it romance yourself. Like I'm, I'm just, yeah, I think absolutely. that would be fantastic is I yeah. wish I did more of that when I was single, I was, mm-hmm. I was, you know, I was never in a long-term relationship until I met my husband and dated yeah. here and there, but it was like, I was looking for the right one. And yeah. so much of our life life is oriented around the right one. And it's like, yeah. hello, you're ignoring yourself the entire time. Yeah. And I, yeah, um, I, I really, I mean, I can talk about that all day. Um, where do you want to travel to? Where, huh? Where do you want to travel to next? Oh, Kenya, Kenya. That's my number one. This is the, I wear this bracelet every day. I've worn it for about four years. Um, that's where I really want to go to. And solo travel. I'm, I really, hard, I believe, I believe in every type of travel. I love my family and I go on family trips. I've been on a trip with my boyfriend, friends, of course, girlfriends. Yes. But I think that people who are interested and curious in solo travel should try it. It's great. And it doesn't have to be far. You can go to another city for a weekend and see how, how you like it. Or even a staycation. I've done a three-day staycation here in Chicago. Um, so I think those things just really help you to connect with yourself and you know show yourself some adventure. You don't have to wait to do it with someone else. Listen, you're, you're inspiring me. I'm like, okay, where can I book my solo trip? <laughs> I just yes. have always never... And now I'm like never alone. That's a lie. I'm, I'm home alone right now, but like always surrounded by other people, kids, noise, you know, just right. chaos in some ways. And just to take time for myself to go spend some time and like let myself actually breathe and think. You're inspiring me. I want to do a solo Aww. trip. 
Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna actually come to see you. So that's gonna come. be my let's solo trip. Let's, gonna, let's I've, I've been meaning to come to Canada and I have friends there, you're there, some of my audience is there. So I can't wait. Let's do it. I'm excited for you to come here. Yes. Uh come in the summer when it's like not freezing and gross. We'll do. We'll do. If you could change one thing about the world, what would you change? If I could change one thing about the world, it would be the way the church interacts with the world. I am someone who believes in God, but there are a lot of people who don't like church people who have been harmed by church people. They felt judged. Uh, different communities, whether it's homosexual community or whatever community it may be, they haven't felt love from the church. And as someone who does believe in God and knows God to be love, I feel that it's just really sad that there's not a better um, picture of what church is like or what God is like, because a lot of us don't have God in our hearts. Um, so I think for me, I, I would love for church people to be more loving, to be more compassionate. And even if they don't share the same beliefs as someone else, to still treat that person with the utmost respect, uh, regardless of if they share the exact same perspective or morals. Um, and so if I could change something about the world, I think it would be that because uh, for me, ultimately, you know, it's our relationship with God that, that really matters um, because as a believer in the second coming, Jesus is coming back one day. So the whole goal is to help people to know who Jesus is. And so if, if you, it's if you so interesting Jesus, you say that, because I see a lot of people like the way I think the problem with the church is so for so long, it's gone away from like the spirituality and it's more like control, power, rules, mm -hmm. obedience. And it's yes. like, it's actually not about that when you yeah. like the purpose to bring people together is not yeah. for that. Right. And it's, right. uh, unfortunately it's become that way for so, so, you know, in the treatment yeah. of the indigenous populations, like there's so many things that have happened. Right. And I think that what you just said, if you could change that about the world, I think so many wrongs would be righted just yeah, in that. Change. If, wow. if, if Christians could actually like act like Christ, that, <laughs> I think that, would be, that would be great. Because if you, if you look at the Bible, Christ wasn't going around forcing people to go to church. He wasn't going around, hey, go change your clothes. He wasn't, he was just walking around and people would ask him questions and he would start talking to them with love. And he would go around healing people of their infirmities and sickness. Christianity, the way we, the way we live it is a lot different than the way it, the way Christ did his ministry. So if I could change one thing, it would be that Christians would, would actually like resemble Christ. <laughs> To actually, yeah, it's performative Christianity. That's what it is right there. Mm. People are performing. And um, I, I think we see that less in Hinduism here in India. I'm sure you see a lot of that performative. Oh, I'm a Hindu. I can't do this. But you're like, nowhere does it say in Hinduism that you should hate somebody who's not like you. Like, nowhere. Right. Exactly. It's, it's, you know, and that's that. Yeah, anyways, yeah, there's so much that's misconstrued for yeah. the own person's benefit. And I think changing that and going back to the roots of serving and whether you believe it in God or not, just coming from yeah. a place of right. care exactly. for humanity yeah. is just a good, like, a good person. Good, yeah. Be a good person. Yeah. When I, when I went to India, there was such an emphasis on, on service. I went with my dad cause I couldn't find anybody else to go with me. Um, we felt like we were like Michelle Obama and Barack Obama, the way they treated us, the people at the hotel, even our taxi driver, it was like, 
something about and and we did interact with more hindus so i don't know if there's a difference but there's just a a big emphasis i think on treating others with respect i, I don't know what it is it or is. if they just treat tourists like that or what <laughs> but i it think was it, great i can't wait to go back i i can't wait to go back to i last went in 2016 i think a big part of it is there's so many people it's so populated you just cannot be a jerk to like to your to your neighbor you are in too close a space to treat other people like garbage because you it's just so community based here it's very individualistic i'm mm. me 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 up, up top yeah there it's community and yes there's a lot of civil violence and this and that like you yeah. know and also leftover from the colonialism and the british era and separating the religions cuz now before that, the religions, the, all the religions, Hinduism, you know, Islam, they were all living kind of coexisting. And they actually still do for the most part. Mm -hmm. But I find that the service level of service there, that is service. You don't get service in North America. You go to a store, the person's barely looking up, they're on their phones. And you're like, I'm trying to spend money in your store. Can you please give me some yeah. attention? Yeah. Um, and it's, it's just wild. I remember this one cab driver uh, we had hired to drive us from... Um, Udaipur, which is in Rajasthan, a state in, in India, to, I don't know, it was an 11-hour drive in one day. <laughs> we wanted to stop at two different tourist sites and see it. He literally was by us. He was at our beck and call, taught yeah. me so many things about the culture, made sure I got yes. the Indian discount, even though I'm a foreigner now. But I was like, I'm still Indian. I was born and raised there. And like just little things, really cared. And it was, I don't know, hundred bucks, like nothing. It was nothing for like, please take me, please take me when you go. I will. I, I want to go, I go year, with, actually. if I go with the native, oh my gosh, that oh, it's going to be a different amazing. experience. Cause you, then you get to real eat the real good food and the like, and like the things people, Maybe locals I'll, will invite you. I'll be vegetarian with you for, for a bit. <laughs> <laughs> be um, it's just, and the food is so good and fresh. Oh my gosh. I, I I've been wanting to go. Uh, we haven't been yeah. since. 2016, like I said, and yeah. I want to take my kids because they've never been yeah, there. Absolutely. Um, Janelle, what would you say is your biggest strength? Speaking, um, talking. When I was a kid, like I wasn't even 10 yet and I preached at church. And, you know, after that, I I spoke a lot in my community. Um, again, I think I've talked about how, how I also preach on the side. So I've yes. preached in like Puerto Rico, I've preached in California. Amazing. Um, so that's, I, I think that's just one of my gifts is just running my mouth, just talking. And, uh, <laughs> I, I like to talk, I like to talk about health, travel, God, community, uh, racial justice, all of that. So I, I definitely think that's my biggest, my biggest, um, strength. And I don't know why I don't have a podcast yet. <laughs> you know, that's what I'm wondering. I also love talking. And I think that when you have a gift of gab, if you have a gift of talking, you need to just talk more, do more. You can be on other people's podcasts if you don't want to run your own. And I think yeah. um, that anyone who has heard you speak, whether it's on your page, through this podcast, through any medium, just can see and feel the um, authenticity, your true, genuine nature of care. And um, like, you're just so authentic. Really, you're not trying to be oh, anyone you, else. You you're gonna make a black you. girl blush, and that's hard. <laughs> that's hard. <laughs> no, but it, you know, I have huge respect for you, as do like so many people in the space. 
I love that you started the Melanated Women of Color Pelvic Floor Physical Therapy Directory, bringing folks together that usually are not represented. Uh, I already had someone reach out on my post, ask me if I knew a pelvic PT in Ottawa. And I'm like, yeah, someone in this directory lives in Ottawa. Here you go. And it is working to get more people who maybe wouldn't reach out for support to actually say, yeah, I need, I need help. So you are, um, yeah, you are changing the world just by existing. And I hope that you also learn to focus on that self-care now, because uh, what, one thing that I've learned is that serving others also means I'm also an other, I'm also a person. So mm-hmm. not forget that I also need to serve myself. You're dropping gems to that girl. Put that on the t-shirt, please. Come <laughs> on. I love that. Uh, a quick plug for the directory. Um, if someone's looking for a public physical therapist in the United States, Caribbean or Canada, you can find it at vaginarehabdoctor.com. It is for minority pelvic physical therapists. So you're going to find, you know, Indians, you know, you're going to find Latinas, Black women, Caribbean women. Um, so I hope that that can help anyone who may be looking for a physical therapist, a pelvic physical therapist. And we treat everybody. We're just, you know, also creating this space because most conferences, most directories, we just see white yeah. and usually females. And, yeah. um, the global majority is usually not represented and, yeah. you know, especially in the North American spaces. And I think Absolutely. it's, we bring a, we bring so much, we bring a different lens because we have different experiences. So I really think Absolutely. that, um, that the directory so directories, like, cause I've had some people to reach out to me that want to be a part of the directory. Um, but you know, are not a minority woman. So there are other directories. There's the, there's pelvic nice. guru. There's a, there's the, um, the women's health, association I, mean, I have a i have a brief thing about the word guru right so guru means it's like the equivalent of like priest but these words are co-opted like sanskrit words are co-opted and used in north america as like oh this guy thinks he's a guru but it's like literally we would why, why not just say this guy thinks he's a priest but no they're literally taking indian words and sanskrit words and just co-opting it and i'm like guru is like a high it's like sensei right like it's for a someone you really respect who's a teacher and like literally everybody be calling themselves gurus these days and it pisses me off and i know in your mind you're like every time i heard that word i'm like pelvic guru like is there anyone indian who works here no change your Uh, name make it something that's not just co-opting other people's cultures and words seriously um i I said what i said I said what it said. <laughs> I love you, girl. You, you're so real. I mean, it, but it's educational. I love that you're opening us up to the cultural background of the world and just the the, the realistic nature of kind of where that comes from. So because language matters, it. and I think yeah, for you being traveling, you're probably more cognizant of these things too. But a lot of people don't leave their North American bubble. They travel just within the U.S. and just within. Oh, I like my husband literally had never left Canada before I met him. I was I was like, I've lived in two other countries, like, excuse me. And so a lot of these folks, especially white folks, they or if they're traveling, they're traveling to other white countries. They go to Australia, New Zealand, you know, Paris. And it's you've got to explore different cultures. You have to open your mind, open your hearts and actually see the world, because then you learn how much is co-opted. Even words like mantra, right, or mantra, it's it's mantra and not everything is a mantra. Not everything, not everyone can be a guru. Mm. Like stop. We need to be intentional about the language that we're using so that we're not erasing the cultures that actually Ooh. 
have I this see why they call you the passion and physio, girl. <laughs> the, the passion that just rose up. Don't mess with suitable, y'all. If you're listening right now, you better check the word first <laughs> before you post it. <laughs> well, and you know what? It's because I also, people don't understand. It's because they're not being intentional. And so if you learn something new, don't be defensive about it. Just be like, oh, I didn't know that. Thank you for educating. Right. Like, you right. know, and just, it's not that, because people just don't know. Like a lot of people don't know where yoga originated. They think thin white women originated it. Yeah. And you're like, no. And so when they go to a yoga class, they think that that is true yoga. When yeah. asanas or poses is like one of eight, like one small branch of yoga. And so there's so many cultural things that are erased or stolen yeah. or co-opted. And for the me- culture a- of, The culture of India that's getting capitalized on right now by the young community is ridiculous. Ridiculous. Uh, I mean, sometimes even as pelvic physical therapists, a lot of our stuff is yoga. It is. Um, but the whole med- I, I meditation, mindfulness. That. And I think, yeah. and even just recognizing where it came from. Like even like I shared, right. I, I share, I drink turmeric milk every day, right? It's I a, love turmeric. That's like yeah. one of my favorite spices. Exactly. And it's called haldi dud in Hindi, in, in the Hindi language. And I drink it every day and I share the recipe. And I said in the recipe, I said, if you, if you make this drink, just honor where it's coming from. It's not a Starbucks invented drink. It is coming from the Indian subcontinent and it's, it has a meaning and a heritage. And well, what does history. it have in it? The drink? So it's the way I make it. Every family makes it different. It's like chai, right? Every family makes it different. But I, we do turmeric, um, honey to sweeten it. Um, you can add sugar too, but I like honey because and antibacterial and um, saffron. Saffron is really good for us, right? For our libido, for blood flow, mm. uh, antioxidant. Listen it's up, listen but, up. Yeah. With that low libido, get that saffron, write it down. <laughs> and yeah, you just sprinkle it in your healthy dude, in your turmeric milk. And I use plant-based milk now, but you can use, I mean, dairy milk is nice because it's got the fat yeah. too and the, the protein, but yeah. use soy milk. So essentially golden milk, y'all, comes from India. It does. Yeah. Yeah. And um it's important to just recognize the history and where things come from. So you're, you can honor it. I love that. So we, I, I think I have a passion for travel and learning about other cultures. You have a, a passion for culture and language and its connection to uh, different countries. The people. And yeah. 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 I love that. I know. I can't wait. I hope we get to travel together and meet in person, obviously, but yeah, yes. be, yes. it'd be amazing to I think travel next together. Year. Let's yeah. do it. Next year, my goal is to actually come to Toronto. So, nice. yeah. Well, thank you so much, Chanel, for all of y'all listening. I know you love this conversation because it was amazing. And yeah, we uh, couldn't stop talking. We could, we could go on forever. And <laughs> <laughs> listen, we both have a gift for conversation. And so this yeah. conversation is, is, yeah, it could go on forever. And I think that if you benefited from hearing this, please share this with your community, share this with your people, because these things rarely get talked about. I've never had anybody on my podcast talking so um, openly about these things, especially with sexual health. And I think it's important because we all have a pelvis and we all um, have a relationship with sex, whether we like it or not. It's, yeah. it's part of us. So thank yes. you again for your time, for your energy, for your passion and for your servitude. Um, lots of love to you. Yes. Thanks for having me. I wish everyone happy clitorises, good vaginas, and good sex. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Mom Strength and being part of this important conversation. Check out the show notes for more info and links, and we'll chat again real soon.